Greetings and salutations. I am Ken Barrios, your success coach. I hope you unleash your talents and maximize your impact without compromising your time. It is my pleasure to read the 16 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill, written in 1928 and now public domain. My hope is that you will take from these small segments of reading the insight and wisdom of a philosophy that has over a hundred years of practical experimentation. With that said, let us begin. My publisher friend invited me to his club for lunch. Before the coffee and cigars had been served, he had talked me out of the contracts for printing and distributing my magazine. I had even consented to permit him to supply the capital without any interest charge. For the benefit of those who are not familiar with the publishing business, may I not offer the information that considerable capital is required for launching a new nationally distributed magazine. Capital, in such large amounts, is often hard to get, even with the best of security. The capital necessary for launching Hill's Golden Rule magazine, which you may have read, was well above $30,000, and every cent of it was raised on a front created mostly by good clothes. True, there may have been some ability back of those clothes, but many millions of men have ability who never have anything else, and who are never heard of outside of the limited community in which they live. This is a rather sad truth. To some it may seem an unpardonable extravagance for one who was broke to have gone in debt for $675 worth of clothes, but the psychology back of that investment more than justified it. The appearance of prosperity not only made a favorable impression on those to whom I had to look for favors, but of more importance still was the effect that proper attire had on me. I not only knew that correct clothes would impress others favorably, but I knew also that good clothes would give me an atmosphere of self-reliance without which I could not hope to regain my lost fortunes. I got my first training in the psychology of good clothes from my friend Edwin C. Barnes, who is a clothes business associate of Thomas A. Edison. Barnes afforded considerable amusement for the Edison staff when, some 20-odd years ago, he rode into West Orange on a freight train, not being able to raise sufficient money for passenger fare, and announced at the Edison offices that he had come to enter into a partnership with Mr. Edison. Nearly everybody around the Edison plant laughed at Barnes, except Edison himself. He saw something in the square jaw and determined face of young Barnes which most of the others did not see, despite the fact that the young man looked more like a tramp than he did a future partner of the greatest inventor on earth. Barnes got his start, sweeping floors in the Edison offices. That was all he sought, just a chance to get a toehold in the Edison organization. From there on he made history that is well worth emulation by other young men who wish to make places for themselves. Barnes has now retired from active business, even though he is still a comparatively young man, and spends most of his time at his two beautiful homes in Braddon Town, Florida, and Mariscota, Maine. He is a multimillionaire, prosperous and happy. I first became acquainted with Barnes during the early days of his association with Edison, before he had arrived. In those days he had the largest and most expensive collection of clothes I had ever seen or heard of one man owning. His wardrobe consisted of 31 suits, one for each day of the month. He never wore the same suit two days in succession. Moreover, all his suits were of the most expensive type incidentally. His clothes were made by the same tailors who made those three suits for me. He wore socks which cost $6 per pair. His shirts and other wearing apparel cost in similar proportion. His cravettes were specially made at a cost of from five to seven dollars and a half each. One day, in a spirit of fun, I asked him to save some of his old suits which he did not need. For me, he informed me that he hadn't a single suit which he did not need. He then gave me a lesson on the psychology of clothes which is well worth remembering. 
I do not wear 31 suits of clothes, SETI entirely, for the impression they make on other people I, do it mostly for the impression they have on me, Barnes then told me of the day when he presented himself at the Edison plant, for a position, he said he had to walk around the plant a dozen times before he worked up enough courage to announce himself, because he knew that he looked more like a tramp than he did a desirable employee. Barnes is said to be the most able salesman ever connected with the great inventor of West Orange. His entire fortune was made through his ability as a salesman, but he has often said that he never could have accomplished the results which have made him both wealthy and famous had it not been for his understanding of the psychology of clothes. I have met many salesmen in my time. During the past 10 years I have personally trained and directed the efforts of more than 3,000 salespeople, both men and women, and I have observed that, without a single exception, the star producers were all people who understood and made good use of the psychology of clothes. I have seen a few well-dressed people who made no outstanding records as salesmen, but I have yet to see the first poorly dressed man who became a star producer in the field of selling. I have studied the psychology of clothes for so long and I have watched its effect on people in so many different walks of life, that I am fully convinced there is a close connection between clothes and success. Personally I feel no need of 31 suits of clothes, but if my personality demanded a wardrobe of this size I would manage to get it, no matter how much it might cost. To be well-dressed a man should have at least 10 suits of clothes, he should have a different suit for each of the 7 days of the week, a full-dress suit and a tuxedo, for formal evening occasions and a cutaway for formal afternoon occasions, for summer wear he should have an assortment of at least for appropriate light suits, with blue coat and white flannel trousers for informal afternoon and evening occasions, if he plays golf he should have at least one golf suit, this, of course, is for the man who is a notch or two above the mediocre class, the man who is satisfied with mediocrity needs but few clothes, it may be true, as a well-known poet has said, that clothes do not make the man, but no one can deny the fact that good clothes go a very long way toward giving him a favorable start. A man's bank will generally loan him all the money he wants when he does not need it when he is prosperous, but never go to your bank for a loan with a shabby-looking suit on your back and a look of poverty in your eyes, for if you do you'll get the gate. Success attracts success. There is no escape from this great universal law. Therefore, if you wish to attract success make sure that you look the part of success whether your calling is that of day laborer or merchant prince, for the benefit of the more dignified students of this philosophy who may object to resorting to stunt stimuli or trick clothing as a means of achieving success. It may be profitably explained that practically every successful man on earth has discovered some form of stimulus through which he can and does drive himself on to greater effort. It may be shocking to members of the Anti-Saloon League, but it is said to be true. Nevertheless, that James Whitcomb Riley wrote his best poems when he was under the influence of alcohol. His stimulus was liquor. The author wishes it distinctly understood that he does not recommend the use of alcoholic or narcotic stimuli, for any purpose whatsoever, as either will eventually destroy both body and mind of all who use them. Under the influence of alcohol Riley became imaginative, enthusiastic and an entirely different person, according to close personal friends of his. Edwin Barnes spurred himself into the necessary action to produce outstanding results. With the aid of good clothes, some men rise to great heights of achievement as the result of love for some woman. Connect us with a brief suggestion to the subject which was made in the introductory lesson and you will, if you are a person who knows the ways of man, be able to finish the discussion of this particular phase of enthusiasm stimulus without further comment by the author which might not be appropriate for the younger minds that will assimilate this philosophy. Underworld characters who are engaged in the dangerous business of highway robbery, 
burglary, etc., generally dope themselves for the occasion of their operations, with cocaine, morphine and other narcotics. Even in this there is a lesson which shows that practically all men need temporary or artificial stimuli to drive them to greater effort than that normally employed in the ordinary pursuits of life. Successful people have discovered ways and means which they believe best suited to their own needs, to produce stimuli which cause them to rise to heights of endeavor above the ordinary. One of the most successful writers in the world employs an orchestra of beautifully dressed young women who play for him while he writes, seated in a room that has been artistically decorated to suit his own taste, under lights that have been colored, tinted and softened. These beautiful young ladies, dressed in handsome evening gowns, play his favorite music, to use his own words. I become drunk with enthusiasm, under the influence of this environment, and rise to heights I never know or feel on other occasions. It is then that I do my work, the thoughts pour in on me as if they were dictated by an unseen and unknown power. Break break, I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time, let's get back to the reading. This author gets much of his inspiration from music and art. Once a week he spends at least an hour in an art museum, looking at the works of the masters. On these occasions, again using his own words, I get enough enthusiasm from one hour's visit in the Museum of Art to carry me for two days. Edgar Allan Poe wrote The Raven when, it is reported, he was more than half intoxicated. Oscar Wilde wrote his poems under the influence of a form of stimulus which cannot be appropriately mentioned in a course of this nature. Henry Ford, so it is believed by this author, who admits that this is merely the author's opinion, got his real start as the result of his love for his charming life companion. It was she who inspired him, gave him faith in himself, and kept him keyed up so that he carried on in the face of adversities which would have killed off a dozen ordinary men. These incidents are cited as evidence that men of outstanding achievement have, by accident or design, discovered ways and means of stimulating themselves to a high state of enthusiasm. Associate that which has been here stated with what was said concerning the law of the mastermind, in the introductory lesson, and you will have an entirely new conception of the modus operandi through which that law may be applied. You will also have a somewhat different understanding of the real purpose of allied effort, in a spirit of perfect harmony, which constitutes the best known method of bringing into use the law of the mastermind. Your employer does not control the sort of service you render. You control that, and it is the thing that makes or breaks you. At this point it seems appropriate to call your attention to the manner in which the lessons of this course blend. You will observe that each lesson covers the subject intended to be covered, and in addition to this it overlaps and gives the student a better understanding of some other lesson or lessons of the course. In the light of what has been said in this lesson, for example, the student will better understand the real purpose of the law of the mastermind, that purpose being, in the main, a practical method of stimulating the minds of all who participate in the group constituting the mastermind. Times too numerous to be here described this author has gone into conference with men whose faces show the signs of care, who had the appearance of worry written all over them, only to see those same men straighten up their shoulders, tilt their chins at a higher angle, soften their faces with smiles of confidence, and get down to business with that sort of enthusiasm which knows no defeat. The change took place the moment harmony of purpose was established. If a man goes about the affairs of life in the same day in and day out, prosaic, lackadaisical spirit, devoid of enthusiasm, he is doomed to failure. Nothing can save him until he changes his attitude and learns how to stimulate his mind and body to unusual heights of enthusiasm at will. The author is unwilling to leave this subject without having stated the principle here described in so many different ways that it is bound to be understood and also respected by the students of this course, who, all will remember, are men and women of all sorts of natures, experiences and degrees of intelligence. For this reason much repetition is essential. 
your business in life, you are reminded once again, is to achieve success. With the stimulus you will experience from studying this philosophy, and with the aid of the ideas you will gather from it, plus the personal cooperation of the author who will give you an accurate inventory of your outstanding qualities, you should be able to create a definite plan that will lift you to great heights of achievement. However, there is no plan that can produce this desirable result without the aid of some influence that will cause you to arouse yourself, in a spirit of enthusiasm, to where you will exert greater than the ordinary effort which you put into your daily occupation. You are now ready for the lesson on self-control. As you read that lesson you will observe that it has a vital bearing on this lesson, just as this lesson has a direct connection with the preceding lessons on a definite chief aim, self-confidence, initiative and leadership and imagination. The next lesson describes the law which serves as the balance wheel of this entire philosophy. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor. Thank you.